Good evening, brethren. Welcome to all of you to the Feast of Tabernacles 2008. It's great to be with all of you in this particular way, and I certainly have been praying about this sermon and about this feast. I know that you have too, and we all hope that God will bless us and guide us and help us to draw closer to Him during this time and honor our Creator, because this is a special eight-day period where we can draw close to God. We didn't just come here to have fun. We want to have fun, but we need to draw close to God and develop within ourselves a greater strength, spiritual strength and stability and understanding and wisdom that will help us during the year ahead and ask God to bless our personal fellowship with all of our brethren and all the things we need to do. God has indeed been very, very good to us, brethren, this past year. We deeply appreciate it. Even now, as I make this sermon a little before the feast, God has blessed us financially, and we're running around 8 to 10% increase in our financial income. We're very grateful for that. He's moving us ahead. The new television network we have, the Black Entertainment Network, is producing great fruit and certainly XE, uh, not XEG, that was Mr. Armstrong's old station, <laughs> WGN and our other big stations, Vision up in Canada, are doing very well too. And our programs are often running now over 4,000 responses each week, unless we, uh, we, yet we have far more uh, opportunity as the new stations come online, and I know they will. At this point, we have far fewer stations than Mr. Armstrong used to have, and yet we're already getting up toward 5,000 responses uh, to our program, and we did have 1,000, uh, one 5,000 response by Mr. Ames, and we're very grateful for that. So good fruit is coming. New PMs are coming along into the church, and we're certainly having a great deal of impact around the world. We see that. God is beginning to intervene powerfully in this work. He's beginning to intervene in human events, and we all know that. We can see the drought, the famine, the terrible fires out west, the drought we're having even back here in the Carolinas, and problems all over, a growing food shortage all over this earth. And Jesus described those things. Massive earthquakes have hit in Southeast Asia and in China, and they're coming here, no doubt. God is not going to leave us unscathed in America or Britain or Canada or Australia. We know that. So God is moving, and these events are moving in every way. And we need to be very grateful that our Creator is showing us that there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel. His kingdom is coming soon. Christ is coming soon. And we have to really prepare the way powerfully. Brethren, is this going to be China's century? Most of you know about it, but I want to have us think about this. A lot of your friends and the news analysts out there see the power of China as it grows. Is this century going to be China's century? No, we see a growing power in Europe. And I can tell you in advance, the world does not know this. This sounds odd to them probably, but Europe is going to overtake China. Within the next 5 to 15 years, Europe will be far more powerful as a real world power than China will be. And it will be looked on as the growing power and the one that's going to dominate the world at that time. Will it be the century of Europe? the century of the United States of Europe or the coming European empire? Frankly, no, and again, no, to both those questions. It is going to be the century of Jesus Christ. It is going to be the century of the coming government of God. 
And brethren, as we talk about the election coming up this autumn later, and all these other things happening around the world, elections in other nations as well, and we wonder, is it going to be Barack Obama, is it going to be John McCain here, or whoever? We need to realize these men and their reigns are going to be very, very temporary, and Christ is coming back and straighten out these problems in a way these human beings could never do. And you and I really are being prepared if we understand it, if we can get the picture and grasp the big picture of what God is doing. We are being prepared if we yield ourselves to God with all of our being to help take the reins of government and to straighten this world out. We can't do it by ourselves. We know that. But Christ can, and as we yield to Him and walk with Him, we can be used to assist Him in a new world order, the real new world order, the government of God, the kingdom of God that is about to be set up on this earth. So let's see what God says about this coming century. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Zechariah. Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 14. And for those of you who are new, and there are hundreds of new people who are attending the feast here for the first time around the world, read these scriptures carefully. You haven't been hearing these scriptures in the various Protestant or Catholic churches you've been attending. They don't understand that these verses have been there all the time. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14 at the end of your Old Testament, a prophecy that bridges right into the New Testament in a special way, as we shall see. Here it says, Zechariah 14 and verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations. He's not talking about some tiny event. He's talking about a world-shaking event. All the nations will be gathered to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, and the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Once again, brethren, as we see the city already divided between the Arabs and the Jews, the stage is set already for these things to begin to happen. Then, when that happens, the eternal the capital letters L-O-R-D in your Old Testament, when they're capital L-O-R-D, it means Yahweh. It means the ever-living one, the one with life inherent within himself. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The ever-living one will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Christ is coming back to this earth. I have stood on the Mount of Olives. Many of you have too when you visited Jerusalem. He's coming right back here. It's real, brethren. I know we can live our daily lives and now we're at the feast and going to restaurants and having fun and doing this and doing that. This thing is going to change everything around you. The entire world is going to be changed and we need to be electrified with the realization that we are becoming members full members of the family of God if we yield ourselves to God and walk with Him and talk with Him and let Him live His life within us through the Holy Spirit. We can be used by God to really straighten out these horrifying problems all over this earth. Then he says in verse 16, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations who came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep, not just to watch the Jews keep, But all nations will come up to keep themselves the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Again, you knew, brethren, what do you mean, Feast of Tabernacles? Well, you know about it a little better, you wouldn't be here. It's a festival that God commanded to be kept for, by human beings for all time to picture the fact that we're temporary strangers here on this earth looking forward to the kingdom of God. And they're picturing the great fall harvest of souls, the feast of ingathering, as it's called in the Old Testament, when God will gather in people all over this earth and bring about the true time when God will save the world. He's not trying to go around and save the world now. Many of these Protestant evangelists are pleading. They say, Lord is pleading with you and working with you and calling you. No, he's not. He's not trying to save the world. God is not helpless. If he were trying to save the world, he would be saving the world. But the overwhelming majority of human beings have never been Christians of any kind. And they're certainly not now. So all nations should come up at that time to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, the, the, to them there will be no rain on them. There will be no rain. God will get their attention. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. I visited Egypt back in 1960s. And the people all over were hearing Gamal Abdel Nasser rail against the Jews. And now Israel was going to be driven into the sea. Those Arab nations do not want to keep Jewish feasts, but they will. And so that's the reason it mentions Egypt as a type of the Arab nations. They're the largest one by far. If the family of Egypt do not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Eternal strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Not just to watch the Jews keep it, but they themselves will learn to keep it. And brethren, you and I will be there to help them, not be mean to them, but help them to keep the feast and understand the meaning of the purpose of human existence, which they have never understood. He says, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And so he repeats that here again and again, talking about this coming time when Christ is coming back to this earth, right back to the Mount of Olives at his second coming. When Christ comes to the Mount of Olives, when he sets up his government, his palace at Jerusalem, which will be the capital of the whole world, we need to realize how real this is and look forward to that time, and you young people do. Brethren, picture the magnificent processions going in and out of Jerusalem. Vast choruses and choirs and bands and orchestras and people singing with joy. Great big festive occasions. You know, we think about the lights at Christmas time. God's not against pretty lights. There are probably going to be thousands and tens of thousands of beautiful lights all over the city. Great decorations of all kinds and music and dancing and joy beyond anything this world has ever experienced. And there will be drunkenness and hangovers later. They'll do it in the right way. They'll be exhilarated to know that God is here that Christ is here, and they can worship Him, and they'll learn to love one another, and the various nations of even the Arab and Jewish peoples and elsewhere will learn to forgive each other, love each other. There will be a sense of exhilaration, I think, beyond anything we have ever experienced in this human life. 
I remember being right down near the municipal uh, center, the train station in Kansas City back in 1945 when the Second World War began, ended, I mean, right after VJ Day. Or, and, and people were just excited. They were exhilarated. And young men were throwing each other and the girl, their girlfriends in this shallow wading pool. And they were kissing each other, hugging each other and laughing. It was all done in fun. They were just excited, a sense of exhilaration. It's done. The war is over. But brethren, when all wars are over, and when God is here in person, in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's going to be a kind of inward peace and joy and exhilaration, again I say, beyond anything humans have ever experienced. We're going to have beautiful lights. We're going to have all kinds of special activities for the children. They're exciting. They will be fun. And there will be peace. And there will be joy beyond most human imagination. Let's look forward to that time. Thank God for it. And let's rejoice in that thought during this festival. Let's turn back now, if you would, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading here in verse 19. Here in Acts 3, the Apostle Peter, of course, is talking. And he's talking uh, to the Jewish people there. He says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Notice that. The times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. That's quite a statement. Spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets. There's never been a time like that. It's going to be magnificent. So let's look forward to that time, a time of restoration, a time when Christ, when God will be back on earth just like He was in the Garden of Eden, but it will be as beautiful all over the earth as the Garden of Eden was at that time. And there will be peace, there will be joy, and there will be a kind of harmony among the peoples and nations that will give people a kind of relaxed joy they've never had because they will generally love God with all their hearts. They will learn to generally love each other, forgive each other, get along with each other, and there will be a chance to have fun, to kid around, to have wonderful family gatherings and sports and travel and things all over the earth in total peace. Even the wild animals will not be wild anymore, and it will be a time of unusual joy and peace and fulfillment for human life, again, beyond what we have ever had. So let's realize that during this feast we will explain this coming new world order and what it will be like and your part in it. So listen carefully, brethren, during this festival. Try to learn. Try to drink in of it. Try to think, how can I prepare to be a king or priest under Jesus Christ? Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Think about that, brethren. This takes place after the sixth trump, the seventh trump sounds. And Christ is coming back to this earth. He's coming here. And He will be King of kings. Who are those other kings? Well, I think we all understand. We need to understand. That's you and that's me. We will be those kings. And we've got to think about it, plan for it, prepare for it, 
pray and ask God to help us understand, help us to grow in grace and in knowledge under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so we can be fit to help Christ having His direction and help beyond what we have now because we'll be spirit beings. But still we need help and guidance to properly rule over the cities and the nations all over this earth. Even the Chinese who don't believe in any kind of a real God. The Indians who have Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva in their, in their Hindu religion. And Lord Buddha and the Buddhist religion. These great big fat statues of Buddha that they worship. And all these other religions in these various nations. It's all going to be over. It'll be over. They will learn that the God of Israel, the God of creation, the God of the Bible. He is God. There is one way. And they will follow that way. And they will have peace. And they will be, have, have a kind of unity and harmony, too, of course, along with that. So we want to be prepared to teach them that, <clears throat> to teach them the way of God. Now let's turn, if you would, to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 at this point, brethren. And notice here how Christ is coming. Revelation 19, verse 16, he says, Then I beheld heaven open, behold a white horse, and who sat upon him, this is Revelation 19, verse 11. And so he saw the man on the white horse who was called faithful and untrue, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his head were many crowns. He had a name written and no one knew. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Here is Christ coming back. The armies in heaven followed him. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. He, Christ, shall rule them with a rod of iron. As you may have heard me explain, I used to wonder, why is he going to rule with a rod of iron? But when you read about these Hitlers, you know, coming along all over the world even today, there's Mugabe in Zimbabwe and Saddam Hussein we had in, in uh, Iraq before he got hung, finally, and these other terrible tyrants all over this earth, they're not going to listen to sweet talk from anybody, Protestant ministers or missionaries or anyone else, they'll pay no attention to that. They kill these missionaries. They kill people who go in and try to talk to them in many cases. What are they going to listen to? Overwhelming force. That's it. That's what these big, strong, self-willed, mean, hard-headed men will listen to. One thing, overwhelming force. And Christ is coming back as King of kings, and He's coming to rule with a rod of iron. Later, that rod will be softened, and He will love them, He will teach them, He will help them, He will strengthen them, He will comfort them. And we will teach them and comfort them and guide them in the right way and say, this is the right way, walk into it with God's help and Christ living within us. And we'll be spirit beings to do it right. But first, there's got to be overwhelming force. And it's going to be here. It's going to be powerful. Things are changing, brethren. Let's get ready. He's ruling them with a rod of iron at this time. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. <clears throat> he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then, of course, it goes on. That's what he is. King of Kings. Who are these other kings? Again, you and me. We're preparing for that. We've got to be learning to picture that. And we're here to picture that in a special way for an eight-day period. This coming kingdom of God, this time when God is going to let us help Christ rule this earth. 
the great feast of ingathering, and then the great white throne judgment day when every human being who's ever died and not had a real chance will be given a genuine chance. And again, who will be there to teach them? They've got to be teaching. They're not going to, God's not going to put all this understanding of their head through some sieve or something. We'll have to teach them. And we need to understand now in detail what God's way is like and what His law is like and what His government is like. We'll be those kings and priests under Jesus Christ to teach these people. Turn with me now, if you would, back to Ezekiel 37, back in your Old Testament, to a prophecy. And, of course, Christ referred to prophecies in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel continually as the Word of God. And that's what this is. Some of you have come out of these Protestant churches that think the Old Testament's done away. It is not done away. A great portion of the New Testament is actually quoting from the Old Testament as Scripture. And Christ showed it is Scripture. It's the inspired Word of God, the Word we understand and live by. Turn to this prophecy in Ezekiel 37. <clears throat> as I've explained so many times, the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel were written during and after Judah's captivity and the captivity of the house of Israel and the American and British-descended peoples of Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa are descended from those people, especially the house of Joseph, and you people in France and Belgium and Luxembourg and Holland and Switzerland and so on, you are descended from the other of the ten tribes of Israel, were descended from the house of Israel. And so there's the house of Judah, the Jews, who live in New York and Los Angeles, and who live in the nation of Israel all over the world. But pick more of them live in America even now than live in Israel, the house of Judah. But God says here, in, in this time that is written long after Israel went into captivity, He's talking about a time when Israel is going again into captivity and be brought back, talking about our time very clearly. It cannot refer to the past. And it's talking about what's going to happen. Notice now, Ezekiel 37, and beginning, if you would, turn to verse 19. God says, say to them, He's talking about the house of Israel, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is British, the British descended in American peoples, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, that is the Dutch, the Danes, and the French, the other tribes of Israel, and will join with them with it and with the stick of Judah. So Judah and Israel will be joined together. Hundreds of years in the Old Testament, they're pictured as fighting each other. Israel attacked Judah, or Judah attacked Israel, two separate peoples. Now they'll be brought together again and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. How wonderful it will be that all this hated prejudice against the Jewish people will finally be banished. It'll be finished. They will realize, and we will realize, we're all one people. We're Israelites, descendants of Abraham and Isaac and descendants of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, were one people. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand, these two sticks, and then say, Thus says the eternal God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. God is going to bring our peoples back from a captivity where we've been scattered all over the world and bring us right back 
to the Middle East, and then from there, as we multiply, again, other scriptures show, we'll probably be brought right back here, some of us, to America, to Britain, to Australia, to the temperate parts of the earth that he gave to the house of Joseph. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations. Israel and Judah will be made one nation nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. No more hatred of the Jews. It's over. They will understand. And we will understand who we are. You people here in America and Canada and Britain, you know, you go out, your neighbors don't know who they are. They don't know that we're descendants of the house of Israel. That's why we have all this prosperity. That's why the British Empire spread all over the earth and controlled vast parts of Africa and, and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and the great star of the British crown, India and other nations of the earth because God gave it to Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh, the United States, was the greatest single nation. And we controlled the gates of our enemies all over the earth. And now those gates are be take, being taken away one by one. Just like God's servant, Mr. Armstrong, predicted way back in 1954 and before that, when I heard him, the nations are, those gates are gone and our nations are being humbled. These things are real, affecting huge events and world events. They're going to be brought together, Israel and Judah again, and Christ is going to rule. They shall not defile themselves anymore with idols. And then he says in verse 24, David, my servant, shall be king over them. Who is their immediate king? David. Remember, Christ will be king of kings, but ancient King David will be resurrected. This is the time of restoration of all things. This is the time of the resurrection from the dead, when you and I will come up out of the grave or we will be changed instantaneously if we're still living. And the members of the family of God, given spirit bodies, and ancient King David, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Israel, and Moses, and Aaron, and Elijah, and Elisha, and all the great men and women of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. Peter, Paul, James, John will be resurrected, be there helping serve, helping teach the world the way of God. It's going to be exciting. And we will be there in a very real government, and we will be serving right along that tremendously exciting personality, King David. David will be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. Why David? Well, because David did that job before. He ruled over all Israel for 40 years. So he's looked on as the standard for all the kings, as I've explained. He will be there. David is the one who said, How love I thy law. Back in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how love I your law. It is my meditation all the day. These Protestant ministers can't understand that. They think God's law is done away. They're going to have to explain that to King David in a very few years because he loves God's law. As he's resurrected, he's still going to love God's law. He's going to administer God's law. And God's law will be the basis of the government all over this earth. It has not been done away with. It has simply been magnified and made even more binding where Jesus showed we're not only not to commit adultery, we're not even to look on a woman to lust after her. We're not only not to kill, we're not even to hate, as he explains there in Matthew 5. He magnified, made more binding, frankly, the law of God. It is the very basis of the new covenant. That is the law of God. That's the law King David's going to administer over the whole earth. 
So they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes. The ancient statutes showing that you're to have a, a railing around your balcony so people won't fall off. You're to be careful preserving the ecology and take care of the birds if you move a bird's nest. And all these kind of things spell out in detail how to love God, how to love your neighbor in the letter of the law. But then, of course, we keep the spirit, which makes them even more binding. But we're to learn from those. We're to study, to see in this book the mind of God so we can keep these things ourselves in this life and we can then administer them in tomorrow's world and the government of God to be set up under Jesus Christ as King of kings, and we will be those other kings in a very real government. Then they shall dwell, verse 25, uh, in the land that I've given Jacob. There's not going to be any fight about Jerusalem or Israel or who owns the land then. Christ will be there. He'll straighten out the nations. And when it's explained properly, they'll understand. They'll all be blessed in their own inheritance. And where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, and they and their children, and their children's children forever. Yes, they're not going to be uprooted again. My servant David shall be their prince forever. So that is clear on through as long as there is human life, obviously, in this earth, until the new heavens and the new earth. And we certainly want to be preparing for that. Let's turn now, brethren, if you would, to uh, Luke 22. Turn, if you would, to the New Testament, to Luke uh, chapter 22 now in your New Testament. And read here what Jesus told the apostles, which is a type, of course, of what's going to happen to us, perhaps on a lesser scale. He said in Luke chapter 22, verse 28, near the end of his life, during that last time he was talking to them, uh, even after they'd taken that last Passover, he said, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, he told the twelve apostles. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed on me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and notice, and sit on thrones. These twelve men, Peter, James, and John, and Bartholomew, and yes, doubting Thomas, <laughs> yes, he got over his doubting. Do you have problems? Yes. Get over it. Do I have problems? Yes, I have to get over it. Christ is still working with me. He's still working with you. He's working with all of us to help us be like He is. And as we grow in grace and in knowledge, and Christ is expressed more fully in our lives, and everything we think and say and do more and more as we grow, then we can be fit to be under Christ as He continues to guide us and fill us with His Spirit and lead us in doing this job in tomorrow's world in the kingdom of God. So these men, in spite of their faults, will be there. And so He says to these men, I bestow upon you, you twelve men, or the eleven now, Judas was gone, a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, that's a real government to be set up, and sit on thrones, judgment seats, thrones, judging the nation of Israel, judging all twelve nations of Israel. Of course, Matthias was put in there, making the twelve to replace Judas. So there'll be 12 of them ruling over the 12 nations of Israel in a very few years. Others will be put over the Gentiles and perhaps great Gentile people in God's church today and in the past. And perhaps men like Daniel and Paul will guide the Gentile nations as well. And God will use them in various positions of responsibility in the coming government of God. Think about it. There's going to be an organized structure. 
an organized structure. And we see that. Turn, if you would, at this point to chapter 19. Turn to Luke chapter 19 and let's see more about this. And you newer brethren, please get this. This is real. This is the gospel. This is the good news of genuine peace and joy and prosperity being brought to the entire earth for the first time. Luke 19, verse 11. He talked about uh, this parable. And then he said in verse 11, as they heard these things, Jesus spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. See, they were thinking about what? The kingdom of God. Not about sweet Jesus and just love the Lord and everything is done and you float off to heaven with nothing to do. No, Christ's real disciples at that time understood there was going to be a real government. And they wondered about that. They thought it was going to come back immediately. It wasn't theirs, not just Christ in your heart. A government was to be set up. And they thought it was to come right back then. But Jesus said in this parable, A certain nobleman went to a far country, and even most Protestant ministers recognize this is talking about Jesus going to heaven, receiving the kingdom, and coming back. And he returned and called ten of his servants, delivered them ten minus, ten measures of money, and said to them, Do business till I come. They were to use the money, they were to use the talents, the time, the strength that God gives them, as each of us need to, to grow and to serve others. But his citizens hated him. And they would not want him to reign over them. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, when Christ came back, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. We're supposed to use the time we have. Time is precious, brethren. How do you use your time? How do you divide up your day? How much do you study the Bible? How much do you pray? How much do you carefully just think about the Bible and the kingdom of God during each day? Do you spend more time on those things than you do in watching television? You should. Think about it. Yes, it's all right to watch some news or programs, but you better learn to spend more time studying and praying and meditating on the very purpose of human existence than you do drinking into this world's attitudes and ideas and lusts, seeing all these things on television. Think about it. What's first in your life? Then the first came saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. Your thousand dollars has earned ten thousand dollars. And he said to them, Well done, good servant. Now did he say, Well, now I'm going to let you float off to heaven with nothing to do? No. He said, Because you were faithful in very little. And brethren, please understand, because even in God's church we still have human nature, Some men get competing with each other and they get upset if some other man is made a deacon or some woman is upset because another woman got to be a deaconess or whatever. This little attitude of competition. God does not like that. We don't need that. Because you are faithful in a very little. Anything we have in this life is just tiny compared to what we're to have in then in God's kingdom. So understand that and humble yourself and let God exalt you in the way He wants to. The big exaltation is not going to come till Christ returns. He said, because you are faithful and very little, have authority over ten cities. That's our reward, not going off to heaven with nothing to do or playing on a harp, but having authority, being kings and priests, because the ancient priests were teachers. So frankly, it's not being kings or priests, but probably kings and priests, for will be a kingdom of priests, as some translations have it teaching God's people, like Moses was their ruler, but he also taught them God's way. 
That's what it's going to be in tomorrow's world. And the second came, Master, your mining has earned five minors. He did not overcome as much, but at least he grew in grace and in knowledge and service to others to a certain degree. He said, likewise, you'd be over five cities. He got a lesser reward. And then the guy who said, well, I wasn't sure of this and that, and I got in a bad attitude, so I just kind of sat to one side, and I stayed home and didn't join your church. I wasn't part of your work. I just tried to hang out and wait. No, God says, you're out of here. You're out of here, fella. You haven't been willing to get right in the work of God and to give and to help and to serve. And that's a very important lesson, what happened to the guy who put his talent under a rock, so to speak, and did not get involved in the work Christ is doing today. So we've got to understand that. Yes, there's an organized structure, a real government set up with Christ as king of kings over Israel, David under him, then the twelve apostles under them, and then under the twelve apostles, many of us may be over various cities and towns and villages under Jesus Christ and under King David and under the twelve apostles, a structure. And we're to prepare for our part with all of our hearts. Turn now to Revelation chapter 2, if you would. Revelation chapter 2, brethren, at this point. Here's a very basic scripture we have often used, but we do need to understand it. Jesus is speaking in the first person. He says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end... Do you overcome? Do you really change year by year? And do you keep Christ's works? What are His works? Well, He tells us we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to help others, serve others, prepare for the kingdom of God. To Him, I will give power over the nations. That's our job in a few years. He shall rule them. That's us. He, the overcomer, shall rule them with a rod of iron. We've got to be prepared to rule strongly, to really understand this whole concept of God's government. As potter's vessels shall be broken in pieces, as I also received from my Father. Christ received that authority too. But he said, you're going to be given that if you overcome. And if I overcome, let's do it. Turn to chapter 5 now. Revelation 5, and in verse 8, he describes here the prayer of the saints, and they sang a song, probably a, a, a prayer in song, saying, talking to Christ, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain. Christ was killed. He was slain to pay for our sins, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God kings and priests, and we, we saints, shall reign on the earth. Not up in heaven. Makes it very clear. On the earth. So let's get ready, brethren. It's going to be here, and that's what this festival pictures. Turn now, if you would, back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, brethren, and we see a very important part of this whole panorama of our future. He says here in verse 19 in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Quit trying to go after just a bigger job and more money or try to be the next deacon or get another television set or a bigger car. Don't focus on that. If you have plenty of money and you can use that to honestly serve others or it's necessary in your job, that's different. But maybe it's not. Think about it. Have your mind on spiritual things, not on physical things. So don't lay up treasures upon earth. 
because they're not going to help where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Have your mind on the coming government of God and on having Christ living His life in you. The lamp of the body is the eye, your outlook. What is the focus of your eye, the focus of your life? Is it focused on the coming government of God? Is it focused on Christ coming back as King of kings and thinking about the time you'll be there? And do you have Christ living in you? Do you really understand God's law? Do you understand all the ramifications of it? And you're thinking about those things and wanting to get ready to really serve Christ and serve these other nations when these people come back by the millions from slavery and others who are not slaves but are slaves in a sense of Satan living in various nations like India and China and Pakistan and Afghanistan and all the nations of Africa. And they're starving. They're upset. They're hurt. Millions of them. Hundreds of millions. We're going to have to help them. Comfort them. Help them to realize it's okay. You're not going to suffer anymore. You don't need to be afraid, you Israelites, of the voice of a man coming or the sound of, of, of footsteps coming, like they're going to beat you once again or torture you once again. It's okay. God's kingdom is here. Christ is here. We're here to help you. And they'll come to believe that as you teach them the way of God, the way how to love God, how to serve Him and honor Him and let Christ live in you, and how to love your fellow man and have genuine peace and joy and real prosperity too that will last, not ups and downs and constant fear of, of uh, not just drought and famine for the farmers, but terrible recessions and depressions in the economy. That won't happen then. Everyone who obeys God will be blessed, will teach them that way of life. So we've got to have that as our focus. And he says, verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You can't have your mind on your job or your mind on making more money or whatever it is and also serve God. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can use those things wisely, but your focus, your thrust, the emphasis in your mind and heart should be on God's kingdom and letting Christ live his life in you. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or your body, what you'll drink. The birds of the air are taken care of. The flowers of the field are taken care of. He says, verse 30, Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, these beautiful plants and these beautiful flowers, which today and tomorrow are thrown into the oven, these plants, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? My brethren, God is very, very real. These massive events that are taking place even now as Europe comes together, as we lose our sea gates all over the earth, as American Britain lose the pride of our power. Christ is coming soon. We must have faith. We must know that this is real. He's called us to this magnificent calling to be full members of His family, to be His full sons and to be kings or a kingdom of priests, to teach the world, to help the world, to bless the world, to build the world, to be like God. This is what our calling is. So don't try to just worry about these physical things. God will take care of you. Yes, six days shall you work and do all your labor. You've got to do your part, but God will not let you starve if you do that. He will not. He'll take care of you. Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat or drink or what shall we wear? After all these things did the Gentiles, the outside unconverted people, they worry about those things. That's all they know. 
But your Father knows you have need of these things. He's not unaware of that. Every hair of your head is numbered. God is your Father. He will never leave you, never forsake you. But, verse 33, seek first, way above everything else, brethren, And think about that all through this festival. We're here to recapture that zeal, to realize how important it is. What is really important is this coming government, the way of life, having Christ live in us so we can be there, do that above everything else. Seek first the kingdom, the government of God, and His righteousness. And we don't have righteousness ourselves. We have to have Christ living within us. As I've said so often, my favorite verse is Galatians 2 and verse 20. As the Apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live, but Christ lives in me, and in the life I now live in the flesh, I live with the faith of, not just faith in, but the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ must live in us through His Spirit. Then we have His righteousness, His goodness, His spiritual strength, His faith, His courage, His wisdom. We've got to have that. Seek first above everything else in this life and everything you think and say and do, brethren. Seek first the coming kingdom of God to prepare for your part in it and His righteousness. Seek for Christ to live within us that you may reflect Jesus Christ more and more every day, every year of your life. And then he said, all these things, these physical things, shall be added to you. That is God's promise. So let's do that with all of our hearts. And during this festival, let's love one another. Let's forgive one another. Let's serve one another. Let's take extra time here to study, to pray, to think always about this purpose, why we're here And let's fulfill the purpose God has for us in being at His festival, which pictures the coming kingdom of God. Have a good sleep, brethren. Be sure you seek God's kingdom first. Pray tonight. Pray each morning before you come to service. Walk with God and ask for His presence to be here in this festival in a wonderful way. And He will bless us, guide us, encourage us, be with us in every way through His Spirit. Have a good sleep. Good night.